Welcome to Wireless Future. I'm Eric Larsson and I'm here as always with Emil Björnsson. Hello Emil, how are you today? I'm doing fine. So I try to stay healthy as usual. It's great to know. Um, so t- today we have a guest, Panos Papadimitratos, a professor at KTH in Stockholm, Sweden, fellow of the IEEE and an expert on network system security. Um, so we're here to speak with you, Panos, about privacy and security challenges in wireless. So first, uh, thanks for being with us today. Thank you, uh, gentlemen. It's a pleasure. That's uh, great. It's an awesome opportunity. To preach about the security. Mm-hmm. Um, would you like to tell us what uh, what are the challenges that we are facing today? Well, as people can observe, uh, wireless networks uh, are everywhere or are getting everywhere. And the more applications they enable, the more useful they become, let's say, in our everyday life. The more dependent we are on them, I mean, you know, the less we can do without, and then uh, this basically raises the stakes. This means that uh, the appetite of those attackers that we have seen in the internet uh, in other occasions can also grow, huh? and the opportunities for them to compromise these wireless networks also uh, increase. Huh? And uh, you, gentlemen, uh, you discussed a number of, uh, of issues a couple of episodes ago in this series. Uh, for example, uh, you discussed about the fact that wireless communication per se can be vulnerable, can be easy to access, easy to interrupt, uh, or easy to interject. Mm. So this is a, one of the starting points uh, why... Uh, there are many issues to address in uh, in wireless network security. Um, sure. So, I mean, is it easy to defend against this? Well, it's it's not it's not easy uh, because there's significant factors there that come into play. Um, the challenge is is more difficult because uh, often. These devices uh, is are limited in their resources and their capabilities. Why? Because uh, we mean to deploy them, uh, for example, uh, in our physical spaces. They're supposed to be small footprint devices. Is what we call the Internet of Things. Uh, at the same time, they don't have the same protective measures that, for example, a powerful uh, server. Uh, somewhere in the internet could have. Uh, and then uh, these devices are very close to their users. Uh, mobile devices, for example, that we carry everywhere. So on the one hand, it's difficult to implement security and privacy given the limitations and given the exposure of those devices. On the other hand, for some of those, we rely more and more even for security purposes. So. Uh, there is an even stronger need to be very careful uh, and very diligent, actually, with uh, security uh, mechanisms and privacy protection mechanisms. Right. So you're saying that, uh, I mean, all these new devices, they are, uh, to start with, they are close to the, the user, right? But also they are small and have limited like computational capability, for example. So it is difficult to 
harden them against different types of security attacks. Uh, could we get a little more specific on uh, technical challenges here in terms of, I mean, for yes. example, that you have worked uh, in uh, your lab a lot on uh, cellular networks and also on vehicular communications. Uh, could you describe to us um, um, a little bit more on the specific technical problems that we're facing here? Yes, absolutely. So. Uh the reality is that, I mean, let me make a quick comment first, that on the one hand, uh, we are interested in security. Yeah? On the other hand, we cannot see this uh, totally uh, disconnected, or actually we have to see it together with privacy protection. And uh, if we start with one uh, great challenge ahead, let's let's consider that, that that would be it. So let's consider... Uh, Mobile uh, mobile systems uh, as they are now. You have cellular networks that provide uh, high rate uh, data connectivity practically uh, practically everywhere. Um, we will have we have already some connected vehicles, and as time goes by, they will be more and more connected to the point that they will become uh, uh, eventually uh, autonomous. Uh, we have users that go everywhere, whatever device sees they carry, and they connect to different uh, networks. And Wi-Fi is, is a leading technology. Uh, at the same time, on your computer, on your smartphone, uh, on your car, you run all sorts of applications or services that are location-based, meaning they operate, they provide service to you given that they know your exact location. If you also consider that those that offer you network connectivity already know uh, about your device, about you as a user, know apparently where you are, how you connect to their network, a great challenge ahead is that, great, we get all these fantastic services from, from this uh, fancy ensemble of the fancy technologies, but we leave behind a huge trace of information about ourselves. And at any point in time, someone could even know not only where we are and when we were there, but also what we are currently interested in. When, for example, we submit a query uh, looking for, I don't know, a restaurant or a pharmacy or whatever it is we're looking for. That, that's a great challenge. And the question is, who gets all this information? that we leave behind, our devices leave behind. Could be uh, the providers of the services, could be the networks we're connected to, but it could also be anyone that is having their own network of devices overhearing our communication. So it's a major challenge to uh, reduce uh, this footprint, uh, protect uh, to the extent possible uh, the privacy of the users. Uh, of such uh, great um, services and, and technologies. Mm. So, so privacy of location seems to be a major issue here, right? Um, mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, one, one thing that we'd like to know a little more in detail, and perhaps Emil, you could uh, lead that part of the discussion, uh, would be to know more about the technological solutions that are out there and that are envisioned in order to deal with this challenge? 
Yes, so I, I suppose that uh, the, the military have a lot of ways of protecting their communications, but they are also sort of people who are trained to uh, how to utilize their devices and they have all of the, uh, the technology that is required to protect themselves. But we sort of are looking for, uh, we would like to use these services, we would like to benefit from them, but at the same time sort of protect our privacy. So are there any technolo technological solutions that can enable us to use the services, but also get the security and privacy uh, in a good way. Mm -hmm. So let me first point out that a, um, one aspect of privacy is per se a security uh, property. So one thing that uh, we can do is to protect uh, confidentiality of uh, of communications, meaning uh, what we can do is we can hide the content, right? over whatever channel we are communicating uh, at, a at any given point in time. And that's one step ahead. And uh, I recall also uh, an earlier discussion you had, you were discussing about physical layer security, how you could, for example, uh, form the transmissions or encode in ways that transmissions are less perceptible or not perceptible at all by those who shouldn't. You also discussed whether encryption could be a great uh, solution to, to this all. Indeed, it's a very useful tool. Huh? But what is, what is interesting is that even if we encrypt, for example, the communication from our mobile to the, to the cell tower, from our laptop to the Wi-Fi access point, that gives significant protection and actually happens nowadays. Nonetheless, as we move from network to network, or as we connect from service to service, even though we have this uh, confidentiality, still the identity of our machine, or the, the type of communication, or the time and location is perceptible not only by, by the networks, but even by someone that is, uh, is overhearing. I mean, the same mm. thing would be, would be true in a short while when, uh, let's say your car is our car are moving around and at the same time they're transmitting information about themselves to protect our traffic safety protect ourselves from other cars for example or from pedestrians it suffices to just collect this information and just realize that okay that person that vehicle has been uh, traversing uh, this part of uh, of the city at that time uh, and so on and so forth. Mm. And so is this uh, mm -hmm. only on like patterns on the population level that we can see that there are a lot of people at this time in this part of the city and not in that part or is it, you, can you also identify people, individuals uh, with uh, these type of patterns? Oh, you can actually, uh, it depends on where you stand and what effort uh, uh, you make and what privileges you have to begin with when you collect this information. So, for example, if you're a, um, a cellular provider, you need to know where are your mobile phones. But then there are legal uh, reasons to protect this information and not disclose it, right? Mm. Uh, but if, if you can infer this information because you have a network deployed out there and you're just listening and uh, you can find out now individual traces of devices. Maybe you don't know yet who the user is. Huh? But then, by, for example, 
observing the same trace day in, day out, you can tell uh, where is the starting point in the morning, where is uh, uh, mm. the end point in the afternoon and vice versa. You can see if it crosses with significant, uh, I'd say, landmarks, something a bit out of the ordinary. Right? And then in the end, by basing these observations uh, on the one hand in, in repetition and all sorts of inferences, and at the same time potentially connecting this to other databases you might get access to. I mean, nowadays you can query almost everything for almost everything over the internet. You could, in the end, uh, identify who the person is, where they live, where they work, what are they doing at any given point in time, this period of their life. Maybe they're visiting, uh, a, let's say, a, a doctor, a medical doctor to get some therapy huh? mm -hmm. if, they, if they pass from a given uh, place. There are even uh, suggestions that you can even infer other philosophical or religious interests, right? Let's say they pass from uh, a mosque or a synagogue hmm. every given day of the week. Well, then you can infer or from uh, a church. Huh? You can infer who they are at a very profound level. That's really the, the, the challenge that once you have precise location information, then uh, you can uh, you can infer much more based on that. Yeah, so, so every time I, I sit in the car and start it, my Apple Watch try to guess where I'm heading and saying, oh, it takes 10 or 15 minutes for this and that place. And mm -hmm. uh, I suppose then that uh, even, that's because I'm sort of connecting my, my phone to the car, but someone else could essentially try to do the same type of predictions based on on external observations than of yes. me. For example, you could even think now, I mean, if we want to to make um, the, the situation a little more scary, uh, I mean, let me clarify that we are not we are not trying to paint a bleak picture. We're not trying to, to scare people off. On the contrary, we want to raise awareness. But let's say that I am your service provider, right? Mm. And now you start your, your application and then uh, you keep you realize that you need something and maybe you you ask through the the voice activated um, interface in you know, your car can you please find a, the best uh, and, and closest uh, i don't know it original uh, italian pizzeria or something right so this is doesn't hurt but let's use this as an example then that moment i know that you like pizza then you say, hey, okay, um, you know, find now the one that is uh, is offering, uh, let's say, gluten-free options in the... Now I know that you have some, some other uh, constraint or some other, you know, need. Huh? And, you know, we can keep building on, uh, on this type of, of queries. And now I do know everything about what you need, where you need it. Mm. If, I'm saying if, I were not to be fully trusted... If I were to be as a provider, uh, honest but curious, meaning I want to to figure out what all these uh, users of mine really need, uh, why? Because maybe I want to try to sell them products or sell products of my affiliates and so on and so forth. Right? Then uh, the challenge is even more uh, more significant. So you get the service, you are happy, but at the same time you disclose 
quite a lot of information about yourself. And if you were not to be, uh, you know, respected by the provider, then that information could, you know, stay in the internet um, for forever. Yeah, and that's uh, that's a significant challenge too. Yeah, and this seems to be sort of a general trend that a lot of services are free uh, to the user, except for that you give away a lot of information about yourself mm-hmm. uh, to uh, so they can sell advertisements or in other ways make money uh, out of you indirectly. Uh, so mm-hmm. it, then I've also seen this trend in the, the last few years about like there's privacy modes in browsers and things like that. Is there a way of building the systems to still keep some kind of privacy? Can we evolve them going forward? There are, there are many tools and uh, the, let's say the, the scope is quite broad. Uh, um, since you mentioned the, uh, the private mode of, of a browser, well, uh, that's, that's, that's an interesting uh, let's say option. Nonetheless, it does not really hide uh, your, your content, the data you send over the internet. The only thing it does is that it uh, shields you from the... Um, unwanted, uh, let's say, uh, uh, I wouldn't call it uh, intruder, but let's say someone that sees your browser and tries to look what you have been uh, looking at, then they won't see the latest uh, searches of yours. Nonetheless, if someone is uh, is dropping, observing your network traffic, then they could, uh, they could know. But let's uh, let's st- let's say in the um, the context of mobile and wireless. So one main uh, consideration could be uh, how do you design from the beginning these uh, mobile services uh, or these mobile networks, if you wish, in, with a mindset to protect to a certain extent. Uh, the, um, privacy and one thing that you want to to, to achieve is for example unlinkability uh, meaning can you make communications that are uh, secure not linkable meaning you observe one message you observe a second message a third message can you make it difficult for anyone to tell that message one and message two and message three were from the same uh, user, the same sender? Another thing you can try to do is to remove as much uh, uh, identifying information from any interaction over the network. For example, uh, take away um, the identity of the user altogether or replace it with something that doesn't tell much it's a pseudonym, uh, and then even change from one identity over time to to another, uh, so that you have both this hiding of the identity and the unlinkability. Hopefully, uh, that's that's one thing you can do on the side of, uh, mm. let's say, of the client, if you wish, or the the, the device, uh, and then you can also start thinking. Uh, well, what about these honest but uh, curious uh, service providers? Can I do anything? Well, you can think that maybe you can assign this task of, let's say, anonymization, if you wish, to a special entity. 
The question would be, if you don't trust the service provider to begin with, why would you trust someone else to do it for you? Uh, wouldn't you just give the same power, let's say, to the anonymizer, whatever that, that server is, that service is, um, or even more? Let's say, imagine now you have one entity that collects all queries and tries to anonymize them and then submit them to the right uh, I don't know, service uh, providers and then get all the answers. Now, that entity knows about everything and all service providers, so it's an even more uh, significant challenge. So one can start thinking, well, can you empower the users even more, help, let them help each other in a collaborative way and reduce their exposure? Mm. And the, the, these are, let's say, uh, basic ideas that one can work with, along with... Um, uh, some sort of blurring of the information, meaning, uh, you know, you don't submit a query with your precise location, but uh, you say, hey, okay, I want something in a given zone. That means you don't reveal exactly where you are, but still you get useful information. Or, I mean, and I'm, I think I know I, I throw in too many ideas now, or you rely on some help from the, some infrastructure where you and others actually mix and then you try to hide uh, temporarily in the crowd and then you change your identity if you wish and then you continue so that you before and after that mix zone you are not uh, easy to uh, to link or track a lot of uh, a lot of ideas there that can perhaps not provide full uh, anonymity, full and traceability, but they can significantly uh, reduce the footprint that we leave behind. I see. So there seems to be a variety of different ways of approaching this issue. So I just have one uh, final question on this topic. So uh, do you think perfect privacy will ever be possible in this type of system? I mean, theoretically speaking, or uh, is this always going to be a, a game between a uh, cat and mouse game, like chasing each other? I think the the, ma the major challenge is that we uh, we are using these technologies or we we are building them uh, if you wish so that we we get some use out of so so mm. we we need real time information about where we are uh, where we are heading uh, and it unties our hands i mean it's very useful so now uh, if if we for, for forgo all this right we disconnect Apparently, mm -hmm. that's the safest thing we can do. So, yeah. so this is the, the challenge. So if we need something useful, apparently uh, we need to um, uh, you know, provide some information about what we need to a given system. But there are ways of making this uh, from the get-go um, quite safe. Meaning we build infrastructures that uh, provide identity and credential management that uh, do that with the mindset of, uh, of protecting uh, the identities, uh, anonymizing, pseudonymizing, uh, providing unlinkability, and at the same time providing security, huh? because we mm -hmm. shouldn't forget that. And then uh, we build services in, uh, in, in ways that they also reduce the exposure. So if we put all these ideas together, we can limit the exposure to a very... Uh, uh, limited uh, level and raise the bar for anyone that wishes to to track us 
to need to um, to have a huge investment, let's say, uh, or or compromise devices or parts of the system in order to do it. So I am not uh, optimistic that you know there is perfect protection out there because then if you want perfect protection, you you know disconnect. Huh? That's the Mm-hmm. But but I am optimistic that if people realize and they ask for privacy-enhancing uh, versions of the services they get, and they are also careful with their choices, then uh, we can be in a much better uh, situation than we are now, together with some, uh, of course, legal measures, because mm. some aspects have to be also regulated, right? To to motivate uh, and ensure that such measures are in place. Yeah, I, I suppose that someone needs to take the leading role in pushing towards finding this better trade-off between privacy and, and service quality, finding something that's better than today. So mm-hmm. let's switch topic then, Eric. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I'd like to get back to the murder we touched upon a little earlier on location and location privacy and specifically in the context of satellite navigation systems and GNSS, uh, GPS, for example. Uh, what are the issues in those systems? Oh, that's, um, that's, that's directly related since we're talking about location-based services. So apparently we need a, a good method to, to obtain that position. Uh, and then uh, over the years, global navigation satellite systems have... Uh, I've gotten a very uh, very nice spot in all this because they're available much more broadly than, than other options nowadays, provide great accuracy and then at the same time they provide you not only your location but a correction of your of your clock of your time huh? so right, right so specifically yes. thinking of attacks against against these systems i mean uh, spoofing mm-hmm. for example of location and 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 jamming of the uh, entire signal so not necessarily privacy uh, as such but rather security aspects mm-hmm. maybe you can explain first how are we uh, like computing our location estimate from these satellites so uh, okay, absolutely. So essentially, the, um, the satellites are on a well-defined trajectory, right? so we know at any point in time where they are, and they know themselves <laughs> where they are. Um, and then uh, the signal basically allows the receiver to estimate its distance from not only one satellite but many. And typically, there are. Uh, depending on which constellation, which system that you're using. There are many visible, but for example, out of seven or eight visible, it suffices to have at least four so that you can compute your current location, knowing the position of the satellite and the distance from that given satellite. Four of those or more. And then... um, you solve a system of equations, it could be uh, uh, over-determined, I meaning you have more equations than, than you need, but that allows you to, to get a better solution. And then you have now your position, and then you have uh, a small fix, perhaps, with respect to, to the time. And then uh, that's how you keep doing this over time, and then you have now a set of locations. 
Yeah, and is this what is called triangulation? Triangulation. So tri- tri- yeah, triangulation. Tri- <laughs> yes. So, so I think that triangulation is like perhaps uh, a, bit, a very related problem where you have one sender and then now a number of others are trying to figure out where that source of transmission is. While here this is a, the opposite. Then. The opposite, yes. So you I have see. multiple sources and now you are the one and then you say, hey, okay, since I have these estimates of these distances from, from those guys, what is my X, Y, Z? Uh, and the, since this is to connect now this discussion to, uh, to the question by, by Eric, uh, these signals, they are by design uh, very low power, meaning the signal leaving the satellite by the time it arrives at the, somewhere close to the surface of the Earth is very low power. So it's very easy to, to disrupt. Of course, the design is such that it's not that easy, but if someone wants to overpower that transmission, that's trivial, if you wish. So, you were discussing about jamming in a couple of episodes ago for wireless communications in general, and that's an excellent example. If you have a relatively cheap transmitter, you can, uh, and you know how uh, GPS or Galileo or uh, your choice of, of GNSS works, you can very easily prevent my smartphone, your smartphone, Eric's smartphone from, for example, computing its location just by blasting uh, enough power within a radius. And then you don't need any expensive equipment to do that. And that's not something that is possible only now, but for quite some time we know that. And funny enough, people are uh, discovered a, an application for this. They buy their own small personal jammer so that devices with GPS, for example, around them no longer work and then they can drive, for example, their their car wherever they need without that car recording location. So, so you, you see that this is a, a real and present uh, say, uh, issue with, uh, with security uh, for, for GNSS. But Eric, you also mentioned spoofing and, and other attacks. Would you like to, to discuss a bit more about those? Yes, perhaps you could, uh, I mean, for the benefit of the audience, explain the distinction between, on one hand, jamming and, and spoofing and possibly other attacks that can be made mm-hmm. against uh, GNSS systems. So, so jamming is, the, the definition is the same uh, as you gentlemen uh, would define it in any wireless communication system. Essentially, you create interference that prevents uh, the receiver from successfully decoding whatever transmission it is supposed to, to decode. So there's a signal coming, what you call a navigation, part of a navigation message, and that receiver won't be able to get the information from, from the satellite altogether. It won't be able to estimate its distance. It's prevented from from doing what it's supposed to do. So the jamming signal could be, in principle, anything, right? That uh, Yes. Uh, at least looks sufficiently different from the uh, GPS signal. I mean, in principle, could, mm-hmm. you could use noise-like signals for jamming. Absolutely. And then there, there were cases recently, the last few years, that some new technology was, was, was to be deployed, and it wasn't thought of before, but uh, it would interfere with GPS 
in the areas of deployment. And, and then people had to just go and think it over. Uh, and it was inadvertent. Or uh, there are cases of outages. Someone does an experiment and then all of a sudden GPS receivers in a given region are, um, are not functioning while that experiment takes place. So, so that is jamming. Uh, would you also want to explain spoofing and the other attacks that these systems mm-hmm. might be susceptible to? Yes. So uh, knowing how a global navigation satellite system works allows you basically to even uh, design your own transmitter. You, cannot, you are not a satellite any longer, but you can be somewhere knowing how these signals are, are crafted and create your own version of them. And now you can transmit those and you can hope that uh, the, uh, the receiver, the victim, because that's what you're trying to do. Uh, let, let me explain why would you do such an attack, right? You're trying to convince, quote-unquote, a given uh, receiver that its location and time is what you are telling it to be, not what it is with respect to the, um, uh, the satellite system that it uses. So you create your own signals and you send them over. And if that uh, victim or your target uh, receiver locks on, meaning starts receiving your signals and believing that it is the the satellite signals and starts computing now based on the information you are feeding it, then uh, you succeed. So spoofing essentially means generate signals, pretend to be uh, the satellite, look like the satellite uh, transmissions, and then uh, dictate uh, to the victim the, uh, their location and time. So someone out there transmitting a signal that looks as if it came from a legitimate satellite, mm-hmm. but which is actually forged and causes the GPS or GNSS receiver to believe that he is somewhere else. Yes. And this there, there has been such technology uh, developed for good purposes, trying to basically test receivers uh, and applications. Uh, but it also comes up with a cost. Uh, it also, rea- you know, there is, um, I say, significant complexity in such uh, an effort. And but this doesn't mean that an attacker that doesn't have this uh, capability, um, you know, could. You know, has nothing else to do. It's not jamming or spoofing. There is something else that uh, attackers can do. Uh, they can try to record signals from the actual satellites and then replay them or even relay them to another part of uh, close to the surface and then retransmit them. And then they don't have to invent anything. They don't have to forge anything. But now these signals, if they're the ones that the receiver uh, locks onto, they will be telling the receiver where it is. And you can see the, the picture, right? So I record signals here in Stockholm. I transmit them to, I don't know, let's say, I don't know how far you, you would like it to be, but let's say Jotebori on the other side of, of Sweden, and I retransmit them. If I'm successful, and if the receiver now believes that this is the actual transmission from the satellites, and it basically, uh, that's what it operates on. It will basically think, even though it's roaming in, in Yotebori, it will think that it is in Stockholm. I'm simplifying, but I just want to to, to show why this this is a, this is an issue. 
So, so, so um, basically a specific form of spoofing, right? That rather than forging a GNSS signal from scratch, the attacker records a legitimate signal and just delays it in time and then transmits it at a later point in time, but perhaps with a higher power so that it overshadows, I mean, the legit signals. Absolutely. Um, fascinating, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm. So are the solutions then, I think you touched upon that you, you could implement spoofing, for example, to uh, test your receiver. So uh, is there work uh, or good solutions that you could utilize uh, to protect ourselves against these type of attacks? There are solutions uh, at different points, at different parts of the system. So um, one approach is to... Uh, implement a number of tests, uh, let's say, on the receiver. So, for example, uh, you can check whether they, they receive power is even what is expected. Given that you know how a signal would look like, huh? or you could look at uh, as what we called uh, we call power test. Uh, if, if a signal is too, too strong to be a satellite signal, then, then you can reject it. Or you can look at properties of the signal uh, for example, something is called the Doppler shift. Depends on how what's the relative motion of the sender and the receiver, and what happens to the uh, to the frequency, uh, and then determine whether this is something that corresponds to really uh, to a transmitter and a receiver transmitter, which is really a satellite huh? uh, mm. and is moving that fast. Uh, one can keep going like that, but then now the interesting uh, thing is that if you are a sophisticated attacker, you could possibly try to work around such uh, tests by changing or fa- you know fabricating, forging your signals uh, appropriately. It's not easy, but let's say that's mm. that's one way to uh, to go. Yes, that's so, also becomes a bit like a cat and mouse game there, yes. it seems. So the, the solution that you're mentioning, are these software solutions only so that we can essentially say that, oh, now there is a new version of our firmware for this device and we get the better protection in the Bluetooth, or, no, sorry, the GNSS interface? Yeah. Well, I think it's, it, it depends how you, know, how you want uh, to go about it. So, for example, yes, you can redesign the, the receiver or augment it. Uh, that's what I was, that was our earlier vision about it. But then you can also think if you have the ability to uh, change, uh, change the hardware, for example. So use multiple antennas uh, so that you can, for example, determine where the signal is coming from, the angle of the signal, and then inf- infer whether this could be a satellite or it is, let's say, someone uh, in the vehicle behind you transmitting I mean you could even try such such an approach uh, or you can if we stay in the uh, original say say realm of solutions meaning how do you augment the system or how do you realize how to say utilize uh, capabilities that are there already for example you can try to obtain precise time not perhaps as precise as the GNSS time but precise enough time from other sources because you are connected to a number of other networks and compare this to the time that you get uh, from your GNSS or perhaps 
the adversarial GNSS uh, signals. Uh, and if there is a discrepancy, that could be a, a reason for you to detect uh, the attack, mm. right? That you are under attack. Um, or you can uh, invent a number of statistical tests on the receiver that, again, will help the receiver declare, you know, raise a flag and say, oh, yes, I think I am under attack um, currently. That's one significant step. It doesn't tell you uh, which of the signals are forged. Huh? It could be all signals that are forged, and detecting the attack is enough. But you could even go one step further. You can try to uh, not only have this fault detection, but have some sort of exclusion. So you have a lot of signals out there. Perhaps there are multiple constellations, that, and now we, are, we have devices that do that. Uh, and then using this, uh, let's call it redundant or rich information available, you could even try to tell which of those spoofed signals, I mean, which of those signals are spoofed, as, as Eric was describing before. And then if you manage to get rid of them, then the remaining signals you hope will be uh, giving you still a reliable uh, or trustworthy, even better, uh, location and time. So you can keep augmenting, let's say, the system and then trying to uh, build on functionality of the GNSS per se and bring in capabilities from, from the side, from other systems, perhaps a bit opportunistically, if you have that information, and protect uh, the receiver uh, as much as, uh, as possible. I see. So there, there seem to be a variety then of solutions that I guess one can apply in a smartphone mm -hmm. or laptop or a, a devices with a lot of computing power or a good battery and things like that. So mm -hmm. if we switch, I think you talked earlier about IoT devices, for example. Uh, I was asked a few months ago to give a lecture about Bluetooth, and I realized when I was reading up about that topic that the role of these sort of issues that are appearing when you are considering IoT devices uh, where you, in order to bring down the energy consumption and make everything as lean as possible, it seems like you are exposing yourself even more to, to threats. Can you say something about that? Absolutely. So this is a very valid observation. So we can, if I can rephrase what you're saying in the context of security, it's like, you know, how can we do security uh, on a very low budget, uh, meaning you have limited uh, processing power, you have limited memory, you have perhaps uh, limit even even more so limited physical protection for those devices, hmm. um, and at the same time you might have, even though there are very significant advances, relatively speaking, you have even limited bandwidth. So combination of those make the solutions very difficult to, or more difficult to, to design and, and implement. Uh, at the same time, make it more easy for, for an attacker to overwhelm uh, or you know, compromise the, uh, those, those devices. So, I mean, let's, let, let's look at one example. Uh, let's say I want to um, have authentication of the messages that are being sent. I even want to have non-repudiation, meaning I want to prevent someone from sending a message and then, you know, avoiding being held responsible for a given message, which means I need to use public key uh, cryptography hmm. for that. If 
I operate on a battery and I have to do it for several messages per second, for example, it will be only a matter of time until um, I will run out of battery. Uh, then uh, how, would I, how would I go about it? I can change the type of cryptography I'm using. Uh, can you use symmetric cryptography? It's much more, much more efficient. Great. Now, what happens if someone is has access to my uh, to my Internet of Things uh, device? They extract the keys that it's using to transmit information and authenticate it, or even encrypt it. Then they put themselves uh, somewhere else in the network and just collect this information freely, let's say, from that device. So, what do I do? How do I fight back? How do I refresh? <laughs> Uh, how to say these keys? Uh, so it's it's, it's difficult. Um, what about the limited processing power and someone that comes and doesn't have to break into anything that just needs to transmit at just a reasonable rate, uh, forcing my devices to to validate messages, hmm. just try to to figure out whether they are authentic or not, right? Then if you put enough load on those devices such that they cannot catch up processing all these messages uh, with the CPU power, the processing power they have, then all of a sudden you do perhaps something that doesn't look wrong from the outside, but these victim devices, they're out of, uh, out of the picture, right? They, they, they will not be able to operate. It's a, what you would mm. call a clogging denial of service attack. And you don't need to send too much traffic. It suffices to send enough for them to not be able to catch up because they're limited in, in power. Um, so, so I'm just painting a little bit the picture uh, of uh, that, that you you uh, you hinted about. Uh, so yeah, this so efficiency, denial of service, resilience, uh, security on a very low budget are uh, are significant challenges. Yeah. So if we are imagining a wireless future with billions of IT devices, uh, if people say, oh, we would like them to be very lean on energy consumption so they can have a battery lasting for 10 years, then uh, it's sort of part of the underlying assumptions there that they will be more uh, susceptible to all of these type of security issues. Is that the right conclusion? It is the right conclusion. Of course, there is there is uh, there is hope in a sense that uh, uh, knowing about these challenges, we can we can build solutions that try to mitigate uh, such uh, such attacks. Um, so basically, uh, we can er eradicate uh, the risks. For example, you start by building the appropriate trust management mm. that can scale to uh, these numbers of billions of, of devices uh, deployed. Then you build uh, security protocols which are lean, meaning they, they're frugal with, with what they ask. They could use expensive primitives, but rarely, but on the other hand, are as efficient uh, as they can possibly be. You can even build uh, denial of service resilience uh, features in how you basically treat all this uh, offending or you know, overwhelming uh, amounts of traffic so that you can quickly figure out which parts of the traffic are uh, the legitimate and the useful ones and then weed out uh, as much as possible 
the rest and eventually let it expire and be no longer relevant and keep operating. You raise the bar in that sense. Uh, these, these, are, these approaches can definitely help. Um, and hopefully uh, there will be also some uh, parts of the system which are more powerful, uh, perhaps not all the billions of the devices, but they're more trustworthy. Uh, and by trading off some extra resources, some, some you know, stronger designs, along with the very careful uh, designs uh, I was describing before, then we can get uh, pretty uh, reliable and trustworthy uh, large-scale wireless systems. I mean, that's what we are striving for after all these years. <laughs> yeah. but, but it seems like there is work to be uh, done for communication in the years for many decades to come in these yes. areas. Eric, do you have any more questions? Not really. I mean, I think we covered lots of ground. And um, uh, it's been an insightful discussion, Panos. Um, it's on one hand somewhat... Uh, alerting and uh, scary to hear about all these new emerging uh, threats, but it is also, as you suggested, Emil, probably good news. I mean, for those uh, working on research and engineering in the um, wireless, uh, say, field, um, that there are ample of challenges to address for the future. Um, so with that, I think we are um, approaching the close-up here. So thank you, Panos, for being with us today. Thanks. And thank you, Emil. And thank you to the audience. Um, please, uh, as always, feel free to send us uh, feedback or questions that we can address in future episodes. And don't forget to like and subscribe us on YouTube. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.